The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Well, good morning to everybody in our auditorium this morning. And uh, go ahead, we can, we can clap this morning. And a very special welcome to all of us online this morning. I believe we're in this camera this morning. Wherever you are today, we're grateful that you're here and grateful that the body of Christ is together, at least part of us this morning. And I don't know if, uh, if, if you can hear online, but uh, the, hearing voices in the auditorium, hearing voices in the auditorium, let me see if I get this right, hearing voices in the auditorium this morning is uh, so incredibly encouraging, and I'm grateful you're here. If you happen to have a Bible, I want you to open it up to the book of 1 Peter this morning. We were in 1 Peter last weekend. Uh, Pastor Tyler did a great job leading us. If you have a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5 is going to be our text today. So turn it on. We're turning to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let Let me just pray for us this morning. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we, God, we, we thank you for this moment. Uh, thank you for those who are in this auditorium today and those who are watching online, wherever they may be. And God, though we are not as we desire, we know that it will not be long. And so God, be with us this morning as we open the scriptures together. As we listen to the word, may the word be the loudest voice we hear this morning. Speak to us deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Granada Hills Auditorium said amen and amen. Well, I remember my first class, uh, my first philosophy class at Clemson University. And uh, my first day of philosophy class at Clemson University, I stepped into the auditorium. I sat in the back. It was stadium seating. And I remember as the class got started, the professor made a very direct statement that struck me very deeply as a believer and as a Christian. And he made it very clear, and he made it very forcefully clear that he was not going to tolerate religious arguments in his class. Not only would he not tolerate them, but he was not going to allow them. And so I was a very young believer at the time. I wasn't very grounded in my faith, and so I dropped the class that day. I dropped the class that day. And it wasn't because I was afraid, it was because my perspective, my view, didn't have a chance to be heard. And so I dropped the class that day. I, I, I wanted to be heard. I didn't have the opportunity for someone to listen. And so I believe we're seeing a lot of that right now. I believe we're seeing a lot of that happen in our culture. I believe we're seeing a lot of that happen online. Everybody wants to be heard, don't we? My perspective, as I'm watching what's happening, I believe nobody wants to listen. I believe social media is providing this platform where everybody wants to be heard, but very few people are listening. I believe we're seeing a lot of pride right now. Pride in what we believe. Pride in how we communicate. Pride in getting our our point across. So I want to preach a very simple message this morning. And the message is titled this, We Need Humility. We need humility. First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1 this morning. 
The Bible says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Verse two, be shepherds of God's flock. This is instruction for pastors. That is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Verse five, and here's our text this morning. In the same way, you who are younger, now those of us who are older, I don't know, I think I'm beginning to cross over into the older category. Some of us who are older would say, yeah, see, this is definitely a good message for the younger, but I want you to pay attention to verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now listen to what Peter says. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives, what does he give? Grace. To the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Pastor John MacArthur says the fundamental attitude of the Christian mind is humility. John Christensen said humility is the root, the mother, the nurse, the bond of all virtue. You know when you come to faith in Jesus Christ he radically transforms your life. Humility, when he radically transforms your life, humility becomes one of the primary defining character traits of a new you. This morning, this week, this last month, I'm asking God to give us humility. I'm asking God to give us humility. That we might operate in the way that God has intended. Church, humility is not optional. It must be a primary pursuit. First Peter 5, 5, all of you. So the context of First Peter chapter 5 here is the context of submission and authority. And so we hear instructions to elders. We hear instructions to church attenders here. Peter's reminding us, Peter's reminding us that what we have is a church We are not individuals pursuing an individual faith. We have a church. We are a collective body. This is a functioning body. The elders are to lead you in humility, following God's leading. The church seeks to be led in humility and grace. Humility is not just for the super spiritual. Humility is not just for the uber gifted. Humility is not just for those who take the stage, though we should model it for you. This passage here says all. Humility isn't optional for any of us. It's a primary pursuit for all of us. It's this idea as a church that we are in the pursuit. This is a group effort to glorify God. And we can't glorify God when we rebel against God's plan for unity. It's because pride doesn't result in glory. Pride results in chaos. 
The fruit of pride is anger and jealousy, having to be right, a lack of empathy, a lack of grace, a lack of mercy, dissension, distortion of the truth, misunderstanding of the truth. Do you know it's easier to stand in pride than it is to lower yourself in humility? Is that your experience? It's not, that's actually the entire record of scripture. It's why Satan rebelled. It's why Satan rebelled. Sometime between Genesis chapter one, verse 31, when God made the statement, he saw all that he had made and it was what? Very good. Sometime between Genesis chapter one, verse 31 and Genesis chapter three, when Satan tempts Eve, something happened. The angelic world experienced a rebellion and many of the angels turned against God. Listen to God's description of Lucifer from Ezekiel chapter 28. God says about Lucifer, we know as Satan, you were the model of perfection, he says, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Now listen to what God says. Your heart became what? Proud. On account of your what? Your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. His heart became proud. Lucifer was tired of worshiping. Lucifer wanted a bit of the, he wanted a piece of the pie for himself. Lucifer Lucifer wanted wanted a little bit of worship for himself. His heart, the Bible says, became proud. The scripture says, because of his incredible beauty. Do you know the same can happen to us? God is giving us some beautiful things that he has made and that he has ordained. There are beautiful truths that God has given us. It's not our belief in those things that stand in the way of glorifying God as a church. Sometimes it's our pride in those things. It's our pride in how we handle the things we believe in. This is the cry of our culture right now, isn't it? I stand for truth. I feel like that's sort of ironic in a postmodern secular society. People are saying, I stand for truth. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, you need to believe and you need to stand for truth, capital T. But let's not confuse the truth that we're ultimately standing for. What God has made clear, we need to affirm. What God has not made clear, we need charity. We need to be clear what we're standing for this morning. Be careful that you're not trying to make what God has not made clear to be gospel truth. Do you understand this morning that Donald Trump is not the truth, capital T? Do you understand this morning that 
the political organization known as Black Lives Matters is not truth, capital T. Just wanted to give everybody equal opportunity to email me this morning. Do you find it interesting that everybody has a truth they're fighting for in our current culture? Do you find that interesting? Do you find that interesting? We live in a postmodern culture where truth is deemed relative. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and you cannot tell me and you cannot force me to believe anything. That's how a postmodern secular society is supposed to function. But the culture currently is revealing the faults in the foundation. In a postmodern secular worldview, there is no God. We're here by chance. There is no purpose in this life. There is no meaning in this life except for the meaning that we're all trying to create. And the implication of that worldview is that there is no objective standard for labeling actions and morality. In other words, you really can't impose your beliefs on me, your subjective views on race or politics or morality, yet everyone's trying to impose their views on other people right now. As believers, though, we understand that this is not true. There is an objective standard. There is a truth, capital T, that we believe in, and that objective truth informs how we live. Now listen to me. This is the incredibly difficult challenge that we're currently facing. Everybody has a truth that they want to be heard. We are one of many voices trying to be heard. And if you pay attention to the culture, you may be bent towards believing that the loudest and the most forceful voices are the ones that get heard. But listen to me this morning, church. The Bible is clear. The voice spoken in humility will always triumph over the voice spoken in pride. You say, I don't see that, Pastor Matt. The most forceful and the most prideful and the loudest voices in our culture right now are actually the ones that are being heard. Well, that may seem to be the case. But that may seem to be the case because it's possible you're looking at the world through the wrong set of lenses. God has an economy And God has a lens through which we look at the world, and it doesn't make sense if you're not viewing it through his lens. The world's economy says, get your point across by any means necessary. God's economy says, humility is the path to peace and righteousness. Pride is the path to chaos. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may what? Lift you up. When? In due time. We don't live under the same principles that the world operates under. And listen to me, church, and the results may not look the same. It may be why many of us won't live in humility in this season because we want results now and we want conformity now and we want uniformity now. But operating in a spirit of humility means the results are up to God and the timing is also up to God. It's difficult for many of us. I don't want you to get swept up into believing that the way to be heard in this current culture and the most direct way to get your point across is through a prideful means. 
I'll give you an example. I had a conversation with a neighbor of mine recently, a few weeks ago, and she said someone on her Facebook timeline, I've been off Facebook except for Sunday morning between 10 and 11, she said somebody on her Facebook timeline posted recently, if you support Donald Trump, go blank yourself and die. Well, that's exorbitantly prideful. Exorbitantly arrogant. It's also childish behavior. And by the way, it's not very persuasive. <laughs> I realize he probably said it in anger, but can I say to you this morning, nobody is persuaded by prideful lobbying like this. But here's where it's cloudy and here's where it's convoluted. This morning, you're passionate about something that doesn't have a chapter and a verse. You're passionate about the things that are a matter of conscience and they're not straightforward truths from Scripture. You're passionate about your political organization. You're passionate about your social issues. You're passionate about how vocal somebody needs to be on social issues. You're passionate about your thoughts on whether or not churches should reopen and return. You're passionate about whether we should wear masks or we shouldn't wear masks. I realize some of these are more common sense than than they are theological. But I want to say this to the church, to the believer this morning, to the Christian. Be careful not to attach absolute theological truth to a matter of conscience. When you do, you are highly susceptible to pride. It's the things that God has not made clear that we need, we need more humility, not pride. Christian, it's not just what you believe. Listen to me this morning, it's how you believe it. Humility says, I, I will spend more time praying for that person who's offended me. I'll spend more time listening and trying to understand a different perspective than I will talking about that person and condemning that person and firing shots across the bow at that person. Here's a little secret. Here's a little secret. If you really want people to understand truth and your truth, then listening and trying to understand will get you better results than trying to stand over them. How do I know? Because I've read the story of Jesus. I've also read 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. One of the indicators that humility is lacking in your life is an unwillingness to lower yourself, to listen, to understand, rather than standing over people with your truth. What's your goal this morning? Do you want people to understand your truth? Do you want people to apply your truth, our truth? Do you want people to apply and understand the truth of the Bible or do you just want to be right? If you just want to be right, then I can promise you pride will always win the day. Many of you in our church, because we've had these conversations, are asking the question, how do I deal with this situation and navigate these issues in this current time? May I say to you, that is an excellent question. 
by the way, it's spoken in humility. It's spoken from a heart that wants to understand. It's spoken from a heart that wants to listen. If you're asking that question, you're on the right path. Thank you for asking those questions. How do I navigate my differences even within the body of Christ in this season? Well, the Bible gives us a set of what we call one another's. There are 59 of them. It's what scripture and how scripture describes what humility looks like towards each other in the body. There are bare necessities within the body of Christ on how to relate with one another. I seriously want you to take some notes, and if it's too much here, really, I'm going to read through these real quickly. You, you email Leah at Story City Church. She'll copy and paste this section of my notes and send it to you this week. You really need to dwell on this, to meditate on these 59 one another's. If you're really asking the question, how do I navigate my differences in this season? This is what the 59 one another's tell us to do. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Confess to one another. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not slander one another. Knock the text off. Instruct one another. Grieve one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Meet with one another. That's what the Bible says. It's amazing how coronavirus in 2020 is mitigated against all of these one another's. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humble to one another in love. Be compassionate to one another. Do not be consumed by one another. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble to one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Sing to one another. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another and carry one another's burdens. How do I deal in this season? The one another's. It's amazing when you read the Bible over it. I think you're you'll find it to be severely lacking in saying things like accuse one another. Yell at one another. Be harsh with one another. Don't forgive one another. Lord over one another. Talk down to one another. I think you'll be surprised that the Bible is severely lacking in those commands. I say to you, church, it's inevitable that somebody in your life is going to disappoint you. Somebody is going to discourage you. Somebody is going to oppose you. And I'm not telling you this morning to, to cower in the corner and allow the shouting voices in culture to, 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 to shout you down. I'm not telling you that this morning. 
Humility does not mean you lack passion. Humility does not mean you lack action this morning. Sometimes it means rather than screaming, rather than throwing chairs, rather than sending tirade-laced texts, posting anonymous messages. I've had both of those in the last month. Sometimes it means you do what was done this past week on a front porch. You ask somebody for a meeting. And you say, hey, you, you said this thing. And I have a different perspective, I think, but I just, could you just help me understand what you meant when you said this? Sometimes it means you talk through the misunderstanding. Sometimes it means you look for grace. Sometimes it means you look for common ground. Sometimes it means you look for where we can agree. And sometimes it means you even look where you can agree to disagree honorably. If you allow pride to take an inch in your life, it will take over. These are some of the signs that pride is taking over in your life. You're self-focused. You have an entitled mindset. I'm entitled to be right. An arrogant attitude, judging spirits, superficial relationships. On the other hand, there's some marks of authentic humility. You're clear-sighted and you're self-aware. You're considerate of others. You listen well. You're content with being second. My gosh, we are consumed with being first. Slow to judge. So many of you are asking, how do I navigate my conviction on these things with people in my church who have different convictions? Well, may I say a few things to you this morning? First, we have offered at Story City Church a Discover Story City class to help you understand who we are as a church. In that class, we talk about two different beliefs that we hold at Story City Church. The first is this. We call it an essential belief. The second is what we call a non-essential belief. The essential beliefs are basically 10 core beliefs about God, about the Father, about the Son, about the Holy Spirit, about humanity, about salvation, about the scriptures, about the church, about the future, about marriage, family, and sexuality. These 10 core beliefs, we don't have wiggle room on them. They will not change. They're essential to us. You, you may attend and disagree with them, but you can't partner, you can't... In, some churches, you cannot become a member and disagree with those things. You may still attend and disagree, but to partner at the most intimate level, you cannot do so. However, there are some non-essentials. And by the way, there are way more non-essentials than there are essentials. That we offer charity and we maintain unity. On page 13 in that class of our book, we say this about non-essentials. There are peripheral or non-essential doctrines that are important, but not critical to the follower of Christ as it relates to our salvation. We will not allow these peripheral doctrines to cause division within the church. We will accept into our body those who have differing views on the non-essential doctrines, but we will not allow those of a different opinion to fracture the church. While we celebrate diversity along all lines, both racial and theological, we will ultimately pursue the unity 
of the church. And then one of the very last statements in our Discover Story City class on non-essentials, we say, we commit, therefore, to be scripturally faithful and charitably diverse in non-essential beliefs and teachings. And so theologically, some of these non-essentials are gender roles in the church, the timing and the nature of the rapture, Free will, predestination, other social issues that we may stand on, but we don't require of you. And so we've expressly said we celebrate diversity along all lines, racial and theological, and ultimately we're going to pursue the unity of the church. That does not mean you cannot ask questions. That does not mean you cannot gain understanding. That does not mean you cannot differ with us and still live in unity. I don't shepherd a church where everybody thinks the same, nor do I want to. Do you know it's easier? It's way easier to have uniformity. Do you understand? It's way easier to have uniformity than it is to have unity. It's way easier. We, we see it in, in different forms of government. They, they suppress and they oppress and they bring uniformity into the people. It's way easier to have uniformity. We can just impose it on people here at Story City Church. If you don't believe this, you must leave now. It's way easier to have uniformity. It's way more difficult to maintain unity. Now listen to me. This is where we have an opportunity. Church, this is where we have an opportunity. Right now in our culture, the church has the opportunity to demonstrate to the world what the world ultimately wants. I have literally talked to pastors all around the country who are saying the exact same thing over the last month. They're all saying, I've not talked to a single pastor and I've talked to one every single week. They're all saying the same thing. I talked to a pastor in Las Vegas, a very prominent pastor in our country two weeks ago. He said to me, in 30 years of ministry, this is the most difficult season I've ever had. You know why? Because the greatest threat to the church right now is unity. People are kicking and screaming and throwing chairs to have their opinions not only heard, but to be agreed with. This is not how the church operates. It's not. This is not how the church operates. And what the church, capital C, not just Story City Church, the church, big C, what we're really finding out right now is who we really are. We have a lot of church attenders, church, capital C, not just Story City Church. We have a lot of people who attend church, but we don't have the same number of people who have been radically transformed by the gospel. Unity in the non-essentials is a healthy indicator of a healthy believer. Unity in the non-essentials is a healthy indicator of a healthy church. Never before in my lifetime has it been so difficult to try to rally a group of people called the church around Jesus only. Because we're so caught up in wanting to be heard. We're so caught up in our non-essentials. We're distracted by the cultural narratives of the day so much so that the gospel cannot be heard. Church, we need humility. Humility.
Pride robs God of his glory. Pride humiliates God's grace towards other people. C.S. Lewis once said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. That's how the church operates in this season. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. He humbled himself, the Bible says, to the point of obedience, to the point of death, the Bible says. The birth, the life, the death of Jesus is one grand example of extraordinary humility. Think about this for a moment. The king of glory, the king of glory was born in anonymity. The king of glory was born among common people. He was born in a place of little importance, in a land where the king would go to extreme measures to try to murder him. In his early childhood, he lived as a refugee in a foreign land. The king of glory as a youth lived in an area of poverty and bad reputation. The king of glory was the child, listen to me, of poor working class parents. The one who spoke the universe into existence was the one who worked with his hands as a carpenter. Don't you think there were many days when he said, I can do this a much easier way. He took the form of a lowly Jew. He was never described as being handsome. He was never described described as having beautiful eyes. He was never described as being tall. He was never described as having a strong appearance. Jesus owned no house. In three years of ministry, Jesus was virtually destitute. He had no money. He had no earthly belongings. And what little belongings he had were gambled around a very cruel cross. The Bible says the king of glory was despised and rejected. That king rode the back of a donkey into a town where he would willingly allow the hands of sinners to brutalize him, to murder him, to mock him with the crown on his head, to whip him, and to beat him mercilessly in a public and mocking way. How could someone so deserving of honor take such a place of humility? And yet here we are in 2020, wanting people to roll out the palm branches for us. Hebrews 2.9 tells us, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, not crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Acts 2.24 tells us that his life of humility put an end to the agony of death Do you understand it was Jesus' humbling of himself for you that made it possible to experience new life in spite of you? It's a humbling of his life for you. Listen to me, church. Jesus wanted something so much for you that he was willing to be born, to live and to die in humility. Why? So that you might see it. if we have the audacity, the arrogance to think that we want something for someone more than Jesus. And if we think that 
We want something, and that's something, whether it's a belief in something, whether it's submission to a truth, whether it's obedience to a truth. If we think that that something is going to come by any other means except humility, then we ourselves have not believed a gospel truth. We have submitted ourselves to a prideful lie. Church, we need humility. human soul, unfortunately, is so bent towards oftentimes not wanting the God of the universe, but wanting a God of our own design. And we are so bent towards that that we will go so far in our pursuit, that we'll go so far outside of God's design that our means to uniformity looks nothing like Jesus' means to unity. Do you realize Jesus brought you into alignment with his heart? How? Through humility. What makes me think that I'm going to bring somebody else into alignment with my heart through pride? Do you want what God wants this morning? Or do you just want to be justified? Or do you just want to be agreed with? So we're going to conclude here, but Satan's pride not only affected him, Scripture tells us that when Satan fell, he didn't fall alone. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 tells us that when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 tells us that there are more than 10,000 times 10,000 angels. So his pride not only took him down, it took a lot of other people down with him. A lack of humility in your beliefs this morning. And your actions can be devastating not only to you, but it can also be devastating to people around you. Pride not only exposes you to suffering, but it exposes other people as well. And why does it expose you to suffering? Because 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 tells us, all you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud. How did God oppose Satan's pride? The Bible tells us he threw him out of his presence. Ezekiel 28, 17 says, so I threw you to earth. And when God threw him out of his presence, Satan took many people with him. Revelation 12, 4, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. Pride will cause you and those around you to suffer relationally, emotionally, physically. But may I say to you this morning, it will also cause you to suffer spiritually. Because pride is the antithesis to the glory of God. It's an attempt to hoard the glory for yourself rather than to give the glory away to the one whom it belongs. You were never intended for that type of weight. You can't hold the weight of that glory. It was never intended to be on you. And yet that's what pride is trying to lay on your back. You're going to suffer if you try to carry the weight. You're gonna suffer emotionally, physically, spiritually. You're gonna suffer all the way around. And not only that, people around you and people around us are also going to suffer. Humility instead gives God the glory that he's able to carry. Are you tired this morning of trying to convince people 
tired of the tension and the differences you have with other people? Are you tired of the weight of your own glory that comes because of pride? Are you tired of just shouting when nobody else is listening? In closing, may I ask you to do something today? Number one, please don't take this final minute as another religious activity, but may I ask you to do something sincerely this morning? First, many of us need to repent. We need to repent of our prideful attitudes. We need to repent of our prideful responses, of our prideful ways of trying to be heard, of trying to talk more than we listen. That's something the Holy Spirit has to work in you. We need to repent. Secondly, may I ask that you heed this scripture today. 1 Peter 1, 5 and 6. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Clothing yourself in humility may ask the following things of you. It may ask you to ask forgiveness of someone. Someone in your life, someone in your home, someone on your social media account. Clothing yourself in humility may also ask you to ask someone for a meeting, to understand, to listen, something you may not understand and may not agree with. Clothing yourself in humility may ask you to refrain from judging people and accusing people and gossiping about someone. Above all, clothing yourself in humility will require you to guard ferociously the unity in the body of Christ. I realize the season we're living in is mitigating and highlighting the reason why and how God created us for relationship. (laughs) The further we're apart, the more prone we are to pride and not humility. I wanna call us back to humility this morning. Lastly, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you seen his humility for you? When you've seen Jesus' humility and you you trust your sins to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, then all of these things become exceedingly possible. If you're listening online this morning, I want to encourage you. One of our staff members, Marco, is there. Just leave a comment or message him directly or text Story City to 24587. He would love to walk you through what it looks like to give your life to Jesus. Now, if you're in the auditorium this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, may I beg you, do not leave this auditorium without doing so. One of our staff members is around and we'd love to help you begin a new relationship with God. Let's pray together. Jesus, an incredibly difficult message. But God, may the spirit of the living God cause us to heed your scripture. All of us clothe ourselves in humility. Because God, you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. 
when the world looks at us today, this week, may they see 